0: Amen. Matthew chapter 6, I invite you to turn there. If you have a Bible, uh, the page number is on the screen. If you have a house Bible, uh, welcome to a series on prayer. Um, The dinner was on the table, so I turned to my son who was nine, and I said, Alden, would you pray before we eat? And he didn't answer yes or no, he just started in, God, thank you for this food, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen are you with me? I did a wedding out of state last year, and a relative of the bride walked up to me uh, and said before the rehearsal dinner, Derek, we would love it if you prayed before the rehearsal dinner. Translation, we're not comfortable praying in public or maybe in general, and since you're the paid professional in these sorts of areas, we would like for you to do it. No problem. So I walk into the reception hall. It's filling up. Lots of people at this wedding. And the groom is making his way to the front. The uh, relative of the bride gives me the nod, which means you're on. So I walk up there. And the groom spends five minutes quieting down the room because, and again, this is just a guess, but they had surpassed the limit of legal drinking at this point. So he takes five minutes to get them quiet, Uh, all the while I'm standing there holding the microphone. I think it ended with, seriously, everyone shut up. And then he introduced me. This is our pastor, Derek, who's going to pray for the meal. So I prayed, God, thank you for this couple. Thank you for their marriage. Thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The room cheered. One guy in the back raised his glass and said, I like this pastor. (laughs) Short prayers. It's not too bad. But as my son said his prayer, God, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. I was settling in for the prayer, and he said amen and was eating. So as he's saying his prayer, in the three or four seconds that it took, I'm having this conversation in my head very rapidly that went something like this. That's what he always prays. Everybody tells you, children, they have these like real genuine, beautiful, heartfelt, meaningful, profound prayers. That may be true, but my son is in a rut. (laughs) So I asked him, Alden, do you struggle with prayer? Is prayer hard for you? And he said, yes. Good. Not good that it's hard for you, but good that we're on to something. So I said, the next thing I asked him was, what is hard about prayer for you? What is it that's so difficult for you? Because he's not expanding. He's clearly not growing in his language of prayer. I mean, all the theology is there. He addresses God, maker, creator, sustainer of life. We got that going on. And then he thanks him for the food. So we have this God provides moment. Thank you for the food, right? And then he brings the prayer to God in the name of Jesus. So we have this nice theological Christian prayer. And then he closes it with the uh, the Amen, which is kind of the ancient right on. Amen. So be it. So all that's there, but it's not changing. So I said, what is it that's hard for you when it comes to prayer? And he said, well, sometimes I just don't know what to say. Now, I don't think that that is a problem that only nine-year-olds have. Are you with me? One of the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray teach us. So one of the disciples comes to Jesus and says in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. The request is kind of a prayer in itself. Like, Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting. These boys, these disciples, they're Jewish. They've been praying since they could talk. Their parents We're shoving Scripture down their throats as children. Memorize this. Say this. When we go to worship, you repeat these things. They'd been praying since they were boys. And yet, there's something that led them to tell Jesus, look, whatever you're doing when you pray, we want to do that. Teach us how to pray. Now, why they requested this, no one knows. It does say in chapter 11, verse 1, that it says after they basically watched him pray, then one of the disciples went to Jesus and said, that right there, teach us to do that. Now, some scholars wonder if Jesus prayed more improvisationally like we did, less ritualistic, like he would just begin to pray. Not so much in the liturgy of the Jewish prayers, but he just kind of opened his mouth and said what was on his mind, maybe. Maybe. We don't have a lot of evidence for that, but there seems to be some, that Jesus was a little bit more um, like you and me in His prayers. Or perhaps when He did pray the liturgy of Jewish prayers, which there were many, everything had its prayer, the morning, the evening, the afternoon, the meal, the Sabbath, the festivals, the worship, everything had its own memorized prayer. But maybe when He said them, Maybe there was some kind of like they could feel something and hear something different. But whatever it was, they went to him and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, part of it is the disciple-teacher relationship. We want to be like our teacher, right? Because the follow-up in this verse is, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist, the baptizer, taught his disciples to pray. So there is a sense in which they just want to learn to be more and more like Jesus in his prayer life. So, again, here we are. Teach us to pray. Now, whatever questions they had about prayer when they requested Jesus, requested that Jesus teach them about prayer, whatever questions were hanging in the room, I'm imagining are hanging in our room today. Does it work? What's the point of it? Does it really matter what I say because God already knows what I'm going to say? Can you really change God's mind? Can you intervene? Can you request that God intervene? Can God do this or that? Because I pray all the same questions they've been around. And so whatever it was, they wanted to know how to pray. But I think the larger lesson is this, and this is what uh, we'll do today. Lord, teach us to pray is a reminder that prayer, the language of prayer and the behavior of prayer is something that you learn to do. Are you with me? It's not, it's not innate. I mean, there's a groaning in all of us that's innate. Like we sit on the couch and uh, we watch the events in Egypt unfold. And what, do you, and what do you do? You groan because you know that this is not what's supposed to be happening. It's a kind of, the posture itself is a kind of prayer. Just this, uh, your Facebook statuses, they're prayers. You type in what you're feeling, what you think, what you want to know, and you throw it out there, and you wait. Will somebody respond? Will somebody like what I say? Will somebody add to it? Will somebody answer the question? It's a kind of acting out of a prayer. Uh, Maybe it's just a primal, N.T. Wright says it this way, prayer for some people is just shouting into the dark and hoping that someone's listening. Is that you? Have you been there? When it comes to prayer and the discipline of prayer, it's not my strongest suit. If you line all the disciplines up, uh, reading your Bible, giving, church attendance, although I have to be here, I work here, but I love you. Uh serving, and on and on and on. When you line all those up, I'm okay with, I mean, like, I do better at those than I do at prayer. Do you ever feel like your prayers never leave the room, like you're just sort of talking into your head? It's like preaching, actually, by the way. That's what it feels like right now. Are you with me? And you feel like if you just kneel harder and squeeze your hands together harder, like maybe it'll just push through the ceiling. Prayer's not my strongest. And, And in fact, if someone else was around to take this series from me. I would have let them. But as it is, I'm here. But prayer is something you learn to do. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, prayer is not an obvious or natural activity. It's something that you grow in. It develops, it matures, the behavior grows. And so what I want to do for the next three weeks, I've actually left the fourth Sunday of the month open because you never know. I always try to leave some buffer And these series that are quite complicated because maybe something comes up and we'll sort of develop that week. But for now, it's three weeks. And um, I want to work through three big things today, just kind of the framework of prayer. Next week, I want to talk about what is the deal with praying in public? Like, what is that? And it's really all about the amen. Like, we'll talk about that, like this community, kind of like when we pray in here. Like, what is that? And is that necessary? Uh, the third week, we'll talk about praying for people and how God answers prayer. And I'm pretty excited about what I might say at that one. You know, I'm interested to find out what I might say. I'm waiting on an answer, actually. But this is what we know about prayer. One, it's very personal. There's a lot of application in this series because we basically want to give you some tools to kind of start your prayer life. But I'm going to suggest some things that you're going to say, uh, yeah, I tried that, it didn't work. That's because it's personal, right? There are two ways to go to Disney World. This is what I've learned, because we go every year. There are two kinds of people that go to Disney World, two major categories of people. There are those who plan out every second of the trip. There are people who, like, specialize in the Excel sheet for the Disney World trip, you get up at 7, you go here at 8, you're here by 9, you're here at 10.30, and it's like this on-and-on schedule all the way through. You know what ride you're going to ride first, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth. You know which park you're going to be at at this time, this time of the day, because you know the stats and the data, and you need to be here because it's better at this time of the day and the year and whatever. And so you have all this like schedule printed out, and, um, and you're going to know where you're going to sit at what fireworks show, at what time and what place and whatever, and on and on and on and on. There's those kinds of people, and as you can probably guess, that's not me. However, all of that work is done so that you enjoy the park. And those people love it, and they just have the best time, otherwise they wouldn't keep doing that. But then there's the other category, which is me. We sort of go and wake up and go, "Where do you want to go today?" Let's go to the magic kingdom." So we get some coffee, and um, we wait for the bus, and we go to the magic kingdom, and we walk into the magic kingdom, and it's just so magical. And we're walking in to Main Street and we say, what, what do you want to do first? I don't know, let's go over there. So we walk over there and we get in a line. Oh, that looks cool, let's get, we've never ridden this, so we wait for four hours to ride a ride. <laughs> and that's how we do it. Now, you put those two people at the table and start talking about the best way to enjoy Disney and you're just going to have a fight. But the truth is, we love it. And the people who've got it, like the apps, you know, they love it too. And it's because it's just personal. When you start talking about how to do something like prayer or any sort of relational thing, it's hard to put too much framework on it because at the end of the day, it's very, it's very personal. It's also very experimental. Prayer is something you experience, it's not something you watch, it's not something you sort of take notes on, it's something you do. And so there's this experimental, and also with that, this experiential piece to it. And we'll talk about this more at the end, but that's kind of how you learn to pray, through doing it. You experiment, experience it. <clears throat> it's also very relational. It's me and God, and sometimes it's we and God, which is interesting. But it's also very, and can be, very confusing and frustrating. Amen? Amen? Philip Yancey wrote a book called Prayer, very creative title. And this is a quote from it. It says In theory, prayer is the essential human act, a priceless point of contact with the God of the universe. But in practice, it's often confusing and fraught with frustration. So when we put this series together, we had one goal, if you will, and it's this that we can inspire you and us, me, to grow in the spiritual language and behavior of prayer. All right. So the first place we want to go is the school of prayer with Jesus. So Matthew chapter 6, are you there? Are you ready to go? Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to go backwards because that's what you do. And I'm sort of wording this. There are several titles for each section but because I really couldn't decide. But it kind of moves in this direction, uh, what to pray, how to pray, and where to pray, and then we'll sort of end with the big, ah, this is why we came moment. I guess I could give you that first we call today, it but it's nice to go backwards and get there the long way. Now, let me just tell you that this passage is, again, one of the most comprehensive teachings on prayer in the Bible. It may be the most comprehensive. And it's from Jesus himself, so this is a great place to begin. We're not going to begin with a formula. We're not going to begin with, like, the latest Read on prayer, but we're just going to go back to Jesus and just sort of look at some things that He has said before. I've probably taught this passage for twenty years, but it's still fresh, and so maybe some things will be familiar uh, as we move through it. But just listen in terms of your prayer life and how that sort of works and or isn't working, and then we'll do that. Um, there's lots of application in here, and so the way that we'll do this, we almost called this series the the prayer lectures because I don't know if there's much preaching happening. Uh, I'll throw a story in there, maybe make it like a sermon. But I'm just going to give you lots of things to try and to think through uh, along the way. So this has a lot of immediate application. But let's start with verse 9. And this is the kind of what to pray sort of thing. So after his teaching on prayer, Jesus says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. So here it is. Here's kind of the framework for prayer. And you know this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You've heard this before, right? We did a series on the Lord's Prayer a couple of years ago and we went piece by piece by piece. So you can kind of dig into the vault on the website and find that. But today I just want to look at it very generally and talk about how what Jesus gave the disciples in this teaching is a framework for what to say. So maybe you don't know what to say. And so the purpose here is not that you get stuck just in these words, but that you use them as a template, kind of a guide, like a foundation for your prayers. Let's just look at it again very broadly. It's addressed to God, right? It's knowing that God is holy. The desire in your prayers that His will be done. You pray or thank Him for provision, that you have food and so forth. There's an element of forgiveness, like, there it is. Uh, There's this prayer that you stay away from things that you're going to need forgiveness for in the future. That's how we often pray, isn't it? Forgive me for doing this, and man, if you could make it so, I don't want to go there again. So it's a nice framework for prayer. It's a kind of liturgy. It's a ritual. And so what Jesus is doing here is saying, here's a way that you can pray. If you're struggling with how to pray, here's an answer. Here's some things that you can say or at least some things that you can use to frame the things that you say. I read a book, um, it's been a while, but it came out it's by Ed Dobson. It's called A Year of Living Like Jesus. Anybody seen this book? The cover is amazing. He's got this nice, scary, long beard. He's just kind of attracted. That's why I bought the book. Uh, i like, this guy looks like a freak, so I'm going to buy the book. And the title was great. But it's just a diary of him sort of doing this life with Jesus. And when he talks about prayer, which actually goes all the way throughout, but there's this one section where he talks about meeting with this uh, spiritual advisor person, and uh, he was Jewish. And he talked about how the Psalms, all 150 of them, are great prayers. You should pray the Psalms. Now we read the Psalms for devotional value. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Yes, we agree with that. That's what we want. But the Psalms were originally written as prayers to be prayed. And so the ancient practice of moving through the Psalms is to actually read them as prayers. So he talked about how he said or he that he laid out a schedule that he was going to read 15 Psalms a day. 5 in the morning, 5 in the afternoon, 5 in the evening. Not for devotional value, no journal, no pen, just reading them as prayers. And so every 10 days, he would go through the whole all 150 of them. So I tried that. He did this for a year. And uh, So I tried it, and it is very, very interesting. Uh, I offer that to you as a practice. If you don't know what to say, the great thing is there's a book in the Bible that's like, here's some stuff you can say. Here's some things that you can pray. Like take the first psalm, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. No, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, right? Who yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. It's a prayer. But maybe you don't have to say exactly. Maybe it's just a framework for what you say, like Psalm 1. Again, God, I want to be close to you. I don't want to be far from you. And I want your ways, your word, your teachings to be so ingrained in my life that I think about them day and night. This is the prayer of Psalm 1. I want to be like this tree that's just blooming all the time because the streams, you, your word, your ways are just flowing into my roots. Do you get it? They can just become a framework for prayer. So when Jesus offers up, here's the Lord's Prayer, it's a liturgy. It can be something that you say word for word, or it can just be a template for what you will say. Leading up to the night of worship. We're offering, some of you have weighed on on this through the newsletter, but I ask you to consider doing it. But there are 15 psalms in the psalms known as the Songs of Ascent, often sung by the Israelites on their way to worship. Kind of the ancient set list, if you will. Uh, we're going to send out 15 straight days leading up to the night of worship. There are 15 days from next Sunday to the night of worship. So starting on next Sunday, we send out these daily readings and devotions. You'll get in the email again next week, tell me you want them, and we'll just do it for you. I mean, we'll just do one of these, hey, this is how you should pray sort of things every day. I recommend it. But liturgy, and this is important, or ritual for that matter, was never intended to be the end result of anything spiritual. It's an aid, right? Right? There are all these texts in the Old Testament where God says, I'm really tired of your rituals. Don't do them anymore. They make me sick. Because they've become the end and of themselves. They're just there to help. Rituals are in place to help us get going and moving in the right direction. They're in place to shape us and to give us confidence to, and I use this carefully, to wander around safely. When we begin to pray, we can feel free to wander because we know the template. We know what God is looking for when we pray. We know what to say, or at least how to say what to say. Are you with me? Liturgy. Let's back up. Verse 7. Jesus then says, And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This presents a very deep and heavy theological, confusing, why should I even pray if He knows what I'm already thinking? And I used to struggle with that. We'll deal more with this in the last week. But now that I have a son, you just know what your son's going to say. You know, when he comes in, he's got the Wii controller in his hand, his homework's in the other hand. I know what he's going to ask me. Right? He doesn't know that I know. And in fact, it freaks him out when he figures out that I knew. But you just know your son so well. You already know. And that's just a small, like, it's amazing to think what God knows. But we can like almost like accurately guess what our children or our best friends or our spouse are going to say. But God just knows. Or Uh, My son, like, he'll get a gift, and you know that he's going to say thank you. You know that, but it doesn't mean you don't want to hear it. Are you with me? In fact, you're ticked if you don't hear it. Really? I gave you the lightsaber for Christmas, and you didn't say thank you? I'll take it back. (laughs) That's bad theology, by the way. But you know he's going to say it. Because you've trained Him to say it. But you still like to hear it. That's just a... We'll do more of that in a few weeks. But just to maybe set your mind at ease on that piece. But the piece here that's most important for us right now is Jesus is really pushing us that when we do pray, that there needs to be like a real honesty in this. And this one, this little piece about honesty and like just quit like saying things, just so you think they'll be heard, like trying to say the right things or whatever. I like how this comes before the model prayer, like it comes before the liturgy. It, becomes, it, becomes, it comes into the teaching before the ritual as perhaps it's kind of a warning not to do what I'm about to tell you to do just for the sake of doing it. Like when you do pray, don't just keep saying this thing over and over and over and over again just because you think that's going to get through to me. Like, I like how this teaching about just be who you are in my presence, just be that person. Don't try to act, don't try to fake it, just be honest with me, just say what you're going to say. If you can, turn to Acts 19. This is a really, really small uh, riff and a larger story, but, um, and you'll probably have all sorts of questions, but that's okay. Okay. I just love this. Uh, it, so you know, in the days of Jesus, other faiths, other religions, and even within Judaism as well, but people would get into this habit of just praying the same sort of set prayers over and over and over again. Nothing wrong with that. But they became in and of themselves like a ticket into the presence of God or into His favor. And so they would just keep like repeating these things, like incessantly so, verse 34, but when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That right there. One, two, three, four, five, six words for two hours. Are you all ready? Let's go. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is, what are they doing? What, what is that? The ancient uh, Stoic philosopher Seneca called this fatiguing the gods. These religious people would just beat their gods to death with their prayers into submission. They just feel like if they can just keep saying it over and over and over and over again that maybe they'll be heard. But Jesus is saying here in his teaching, look, just, uh, just say what's on your mind. Tell God what is happening with you. Again, this is the reason he says, look, he knows you so well that he already knows what's going on in your life, so just talk to him. It's not technique or formula, it's a relationship, so just talk. There's something profound about that. Like, I like, again, I like how it comes before the formula. Here's a nice formula for prayer, but before we get there, don't use it as a vehicle to impress God, to speak out in public so that people can hear how spiritual you are. Just say What's on your mind? The next thing, verses 5 and 6, as we pause while the fireman goes by. Okay. Jesus says, and when you pray, and this is the beginning of the teaching, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men, we have a friend, Rabbi Derek. He's been here before. I'd like to have him come. Maybe that's what we'll do on the fourth Sunday, but anyway. Uh, he's a Christian, but he's also a rabbi. It's very interesting. And I emailed him about prayer, and he, all he emailed me back, you know, in nice rabbinical form, uh, he said, Catholics kneel, Protestants bow, Jews stand. And so Jesus is addressing something they already know, They loved to pray standing in the synagogues. The way it worked, you stood for prayer. You stood for the reading of the word. The teacher of the Bible actually sat. This whole thing is reversed, by the way. I'm standing. You're sitting. It's not how it used to be. And they would stand. And they loved to stand and pray, basically in public. Now the reason for this is that there were set times to pray: morning, noon, afternoon. Wherever you were, at whatever time that was. In whatever place, you stopped and you prayed. And you had memorized prayers. The, the most famous one would be the Shema, this three-piece prayer from both Deuteronomy and Numbers, and they would say these things over and over again. They would pray these things all the time. Everything had its prayer. So wherever they were, they would stop. So it could be in the middle of the street, it could be in the workplace, it could be in the marketplace, it could be in the shopping district, it could be on the steps of the synagogue. They would stop and they would pray, and they typically prayed out loud. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of people sort of read this teaching as, oh, this is against community or public prayer, but that's not true. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, which we'll look at next week a little bit more, is prayed in the plural Our Father, we, and so on. So, community is a very big ingredient in prayer. So, it's not that. What Jesus does here is he throws in the word, the Greek word for actor, which is the word hypocrite, hypocritos. He says, Don't be an actor when you pray. Please, don't do that. Actors need a stage. They need an audience. They need a reaction. They need some kind of like approval. And so they're very careful and guarded about what they say. Very rehearsed. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. When you pray, don't pray so other people will hear you and say, because if someone comes up to you after you pray in public and they say to you, that was the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard failure. That's not the point of prayer. That's not the reason that we say things to God in public. And so Jesus teaches something different. He says, I tell you the truth. In verse 5, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full, which is to be seen and heard by other people. That's what they were going for. Some people pray to be heard and agreed with. Some preachers will use the closing prayer as a sermon. <laughs> Have you been there? What is that? They're praying to be heard. And so Jesus is saying, don't, don't do that. I mean, that's, that's the reward you'll get. If that's what you're going for, you'll get it. But in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen and then your father, who sees what is done in secret, or as the Jerusalem Bible says, in that secret place, he will reward you. So people who pray to be heard get rewarded, but people who pray in private, there's a reward there. Now, most Palestinian people in the first century lived in homes that they didn't have rooms. We have rooms in our, they don't have rooms. And they certainly don't have doors. Too poor. You just live in a room with your whole family. So it's not about place so much as it is about posture and about somehow removing the distractions. So the Jews would wear head coverings, raise them above their heads, and block out distractions. Sometimes this was called a closet closet. The prayer closet. I was on the train uh, recently coming back from a meeting, early morning meeting, got on the train, was coming back to the office, and I knew that when I got back to the office there was about two hours, and then I had another meeting that was it was a big meeting. I needed to prep for it, I needed to get ready for it. And it was kind of worrying me. And so I got on the train, it was packed. But I was still wearing my sling, so somebody gave me a seat. It was nice. Maybe I'll just take the sling with me on the train. <laughs> uh, so I sat down. I had about three stops, so a few minutes, and I said, I need to, I need to pray, because when I get back, it's just going to be go, go, go. So I closed my eyes, and I prayed, not out loud, although that doesn't really bother anybody on the train. They just iPhone you and send it off. Uh, I just prayed in a closet on car number 12 with people standing all around you. Which is a weird feeling because you kind of think when you open your eyes, they're all going to be kind of like, What were you just doing? It's weird but it's just go into your room close the door and pray to your father finally i mean that's great stuff tools there's a template for prayer there's like a really a freedom moment where god's like look don't don't feel like you got to say the right thing just say it i like that and then there's this like when you pray like get away from Distractions. But all of that really doesn't matter compared to this. Look at the first part of verse 5. Very simple. Jesus says, and when you pray. When. So everything that comes after and when you pray hangs on whether or not you pray. It's when you pray, not if but when. In our home, when you make your bed, then you can play we. Not if, when. Are you with me? So Jesus begins, he opens up his school on prayer, not with tools, not with ideas, not with like sure hits, but with this statement of expectation that God has for us, and that's that we pray. When you pray. And following that, here's some things you can do or think about or put into practice, but it doesn't really matter unless you're praying. So when you pray, it's about the if versus the when. And maybe that's all you needed to hear today. Like the tools don't matter. You just got to move from if to when. Right? We have a lot of what ifs in prayer, for sure. Like, uh, let me read some of these questions, just sort of jotted these down, um, typed them actually. If I knew what to say, if I knew how to say it, if I knew God was listening, if I knew it would make a difference, if I had the time, if I had the discipline, and so on, and so on, and so on. And Jesus gives no attention to those sorts of stipulations. He just begins saying, look, when you're doing this, when you're praying, that's the deal. So I think that... Here's why I went backwards, by the way, through the text. Because that's all I want to say today. Start praying. I mean, I could have said that at the beginning. We could be out of here. But just... This is all God is calling us to do is look just, just start praying. Move from the if to the when and then just start the journey of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Like how, What are the lessons? What are the answers? Let me just say it this way. We learn to pray, again, my experience, but we learn to pray, it's real profound, by praying. You can learn about prayer, but you don't learn to pray unless you're praying. You don't learn to be married unless you're married. You don't learn to uh, be a student unless you're a student. You don't learn what it means to work and to pay bills unless you're doing that. You don't learn what it means to be a parent until you're a parent. You know about those things. You have some ideas and some opinions, but you don't know anything about it unless you're in it. When I do premarital counseling, it's always fun because they always have all sorts of questions like, um, what, what, what if we can't get pregnant? You'll figure it out. What if she loses her job? You'll discover the answers for that. What if, um, what if we get transferred? You'll figure that out. What if both sets of our parents both want us at their house for Christmas? Good luck with that one. <laughs> So much of God's kingdom, His ways, we just discover along the way. We discover on the journey, right? We're praying, we're in the discipline of prayer, and then like six months in, you're like, oh. Right? It's just like any of the commands, any of the disciplines He calls us to, we hated it first. I've never met anyone, maybe a few, but Derek, you challenged us to read the Bible, and I just got started, and I just love it. That's never the case. It's always like I loved it for a week, and then it was like, really? Numbers? What is the book of Numbers? Right? It's a struggle. But over time, people begin to say, I didn't want to do it at first, but now that I'm in the habit, I now know why. Derek, when you talked about money and giving, I was just so frustrated with you. But I took your challenge. And now I can't imagine living a life that isn't benevolent, generous, are you with me? Prayer same way. You want to learn to pray? Move from if to when. Just start praying. Just pray. And the reward. What is the reward? Like in classic Jesus fashion, he doesn't give it to us. And what you do in prayer, your God will reward you. What is the reward? I don't know. But the one, and it may be multiple rewards, but the one reward that we can all be sure about is that your relationship with God through prayer will deepen. That's a great reward. So at the end of the day, whatever the other rewards may or may not be, we do know without any doubt that as we pray and as we continue to do this, our relationship with God deepens. It just grows. And so one last bit of application for you. You may have gotten a card coming in about a Roots class on prayer do it. Take it. we got a panel from our church just sitting up front saying, here's what the journey of prayer has been for us. Get involved in that. Get in the conversation. Learn what it means to pray. Learn what it means to grow in prayer. Learn what it means to actually be rewarded in that, in that you grow in your relationship with God. So my son says, sometimes I just don't know what to say and I'm with him. I don't know if you're with him, but sometimes I bow my head, close my eyes, because I'm Protestant. And I don't know what to say. But there's some encouragement on that, and I'll close with this. i got to do the whole text, because it's part of it. But in Romans 8, Paul says, Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been, what's the word, groaning. It's a kind of prayer, this longing for something to change. It's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, this call to go to God with the things that we don't know. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, right? He says we don't know what we ought to pray for at times. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Isn't that beautiful? You bow your head, you close your eyes, and you say in your head, I don't know what to say. And the Scriptures tell us the Spirit speaks on your behalf because He knows. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. Followers of Christ have this confidence that when they pray, it's already done. The Spirit knows. And even in our moments of, I don't know what to say, He speaks for us on our behalf and helps us in some mysterious way. So welcome again to a series on a very difficult and mysterious and beautiful thing called prayer. And next week we'll open it up just a little bit more. Um, Let's stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing one more song. Father, thank you for um, our time together today. Thank you for um, the whole service has been a prayer. The songs, uh, the silence, the teaching. And so we stand in this room together as a community, uh, just wanting to deepen our relationship with you through prayer and through this dialogue uh, that you call us into. And thank you so much for uh, allowing us to come to you with whatever it is that is going on in our lives, and we can just dump that at your feet. And it's so encouraging to know that you listen, and even more encouraging to know that you already know. And so, God, we come to you as children not fully understanding um, how you hear us and respond to us, but just as children who trust that you will. So again, thank you uh, for inviting us into that kind of relationship. We love you, and we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.